The following message was recorded at Fountain of Life Fellowship in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com. Well, good morning, everyone. Um, let's pray and go before the Lord that he would bless our time together, acknowledging his presence here. Lord Jesus, we want to first thank you that you have given us an opportunity to sit under your word this morning. We recognize that even right now you are seated in the heavenly places. You are at the right hand of God even this morning. Lord, you have a word for us today. And I pray, Lord, that you would use your word to feed your people. Because, Lord, this is what our souls desire. This is what our minds desire. This is what our hearts want. We want more of you. We want more of your word. So I pray, Lord, that you would bless our time. Help me, Lord, to preach clearly and truthfully, as faithful to the text as I can be. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So we uh, came to a critical shift in our book. Okay, we are continuing through the book of Colossians, and right now we are in a transition. So before we hit into that transition, I just want to go back and just cover what we already learned so far from the book of Colossians. We've learned um, uh, the, the wonderful hope that you have in Jesus Christ. We've learned that there is a hope in heaven that's laid out for you and that it is Christ who has laid it out for you and that the only way to access this hope in heaven is to be in Christ. We saw also that the Father has qualified us to share in the inheritance with the saints. We saw also that all our sins have been forgiven by Jesus dying on the cross and paying our debt. We saw who this Christ is. We saw that he is the creator of the world. We saw that everything, visible or invisible, was created by him. He holds all things together. Then, in chapter 2, we saw the self-made religion of the world that's become a temptation to the church in Colossae. These self-made religion people, we, we just call them the isms because there wasn't really a defined word for them. They had an appearance of wisdom, but it wasn't according to Christ. <laughs> it had rules to obey, but it was according to human traditions, but not according to Christ. I feel like a Puritan preacher, when they would preach, they would have a guy with a trumpet blowing to muffle the words. <laughs> it's, it's, it's somebody from the self-made religion. <laughs> All right. So the self-made religion, they had an appearance of wisdom, okay? But it wasn't according to Christ. It had rules that you must obey and rules to follow, but it was not according to Christ. 
They, we saw that it promises you spiritual satisfaction and a higher level of spirituality, but it wasn't according to Christ. All that the self-made religion, what it did was it caused people to be in a worse state at the end than when they started with it. They were more hungry. They found lacking. They found like this is not the answer. There's not enough that I can do. I can never achieve the spiritual satisfaction. All it did was take the joy away from people. There isn't enough that you can't do. So this is what he was warning us about. And then that's self-made religion. And here in chapter 3, Paul now introduces, in contrast, God-made religion. He's, he's offering something absolutely better than self-made religion. And with a God-made religion, we see that in verses 1 through 4, actually from 3 on, really. But we have three sections that are coming up in the following weeks. Our week today is going to look at our final self. The following week, we're going to look at our old self from verses 5 through 11. And then in two weeks from now, we're going to see our new self from verses 12 down to 17. And this is the thing about a God-made religion. God is sovereign over everything. So he can tell you what your end result will be and he will bring it to pass. God, a God-made religion doesn't say you must do these list of things in order to have me, right? What a God-made religion, as we we're going to see, is, the, is he gives you what you already have in Christ, and because of what you already have in Christ, you live that out in your daily life. That's a true religion. The self-made religion, remember, it's work, 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 work. And then maybe you can have God at the end. A God-made religion says, hey, you're going to appear in glory with Christ one day. Now live like this. So there are three observations of glory in our text today that I want us to see that will help shape your thinking about your life in Jesus. Number one, the person of glory. The person of glory. Number two, we're going to see the pursuit of glory. And number three, the promise of glory. So the person, the pursuit, the promise of glory. All right, chapter 3, verse 1, starts off with the first step of Christianity. Did you see it? He said, if then you have been raised with Christ. This is your first step into Christianity. You have a new life with Jesus. Your first interaction with God, your first, when your eyes awakened to a new life, you are a Christian, okay? And that is his first step here. He's reminding them of something that happened years ago where Christ has died on the cross that has relevance for today and it will have relevance even for our day and it will have re re relevance 
to the future, excuse me. You have been raised with Christ. So this is the first qualification. If you want to even begin to look at how a Christian lives and how you're going to live this life, this has to be true for you. The question is, are you raised with Christ? Do you have a new life with Jesus? Can you remember the first time you heard the gospel and your heart awakened? Do you remember how you were living one way, Jesus happened, and now you're living another way? If you're saying yes, then you, are, you belong to Jesus. You are so unified with Jesus that his resurrection was your resurrection. His death, as we saw earlier, was your death. And his burial was your burial. The old life is no more. You have a new life. Who is this Christ? And we saw that earlier, that he is God. He has created all things. Where is he today? Where is Jesus Christ, the person of glory? It says here in our word, in verse 1, he is seated at the right hand of God. Now, this is amazing. This is amazing. This is a quote from Psalm 110.1. It's the most quoted psalm in the New Testament. It says, the first line of it, Yahweh says to my Lord, sit at my right hand, until I put your enemies as a footstool for your feet. This is a messianic psalm that David wrote. The king wrote this about Jesus in the future and Yahweh talking to him. Sit on my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. But also it has this idea of a priest. Look at with me in Hebrews 8 verses 1 through 2. Sorry. Opa. Sorry, Don. <laughs> oh, boy. It's okay. Just got to go. All right, here we go. <laughs> Psalm 8, 1 through 2. I mean, Hebrews 8, 1 through 2. Now, the writer to the Hebrews was telling uh, the audience how great, how greater. Um, sure. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, brother. I'll just step right here. It's okay. All right. We're going to get through this, guys. Promise. I promise. (laughs) Okay. So, in Hebrews, the author was convincing his hearers that Jesus is a better priest than the priests that are right now making sacrifices, that Jesus has already made the ultimate sacrifice, okay? And he comes to Hebrews chapter 8, and he says this. Now, the point in what we are trying to say is this. Thank you, brother. It's a bottle, too. It's awesome. <laughs> this is what the writer of the Hebrews is saying. We have such a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. We have this high priest in heaven right now that's interceding for you and I. Jesus right now, thank you, he is interceding for his people even this morning. Right now in heaven, your name is on Jesus' lips. He is interceding for his people. His sacrifice that he made on the cross 
guarantees us peace with God. The sin that separated us from God has been closed with Jesus. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 22 gives us another picture of this throne that he's sitting on. Jesus has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. Not only is Jesus interceding for you as a priest, he's the ruler of all things. All things are subjected under him. So you remember the self-made religion, they tried to convince you to worship angels and look at angels and visions and da-da-da-da-da. Jesus sitting at the right hand of God shows that he's above all of that. Every created thing has been subjected to Jesus. This seat is not open for everyone. It's reserved for one person. It is reserved for Jesus Christ. You're not going to find peace with God outside of Jesus Christ. You're not going to find someone to plead your case in front of God Almighty except in Jesus Christ. This is who, we ha- this is who we're united to. You have been raised with Christ. His life is now your life. You have been united to him. And he's right now in glory being worshipped perfectly of all creation. Everything is under his feet. He is interceding for you and I even right now. Wow. It's glorious. So Paul gives us that first line of what we have in Jesus versus the self-made religion. Here's the God-made religion. This is your first step. You've been raised with Christ. You're joined with this person who is seated at the right hand of God. Now let's take a look at the pursuit of glory. So now that we have this person, what are we supposed to do now? How, how does this new life look? Paul writes, <clears throat> verse 1, seek the things that are above. And also set your mind on things above, not on things on earth. First word, seek. Seek. This has a, the idea of delighting in, desiring, going after something until you achieve it. Um, and he's telling us what to seek the things that are above. Now, this is what I love about Christianity. It gives you a reality beyond what you can see. That's actually, you can pursue it. You can actually know things that are not on earth. You can seek for things that are not on earth. You can seek the heavenly things. The Bible gives us a really great lens to where Jesus is sitting in the heavenly places. And the Bible tells us that we could seek Christ We could seek where he's sitting. We could know these things. We can go after him. A person who has been raised with Christ doesn't seek for things on earth. A person who is raised with Christ looks for the things that are in heaven where Christ is because that's where his desire is. Uh, Set your mind on things above. It's to be so, to be so, uh, bring, how do I say it? Uh, uh, Have conclusions about uh, the things above. You know, it's funny because we live in a time where 
it's unpopular to have definitions. It's popular today to change definitions, change the words, and you can't be so sure about things anymore in our day and age. The person who's been raised with Christ can actually have their mind set, can actually have a definition, a conclusion. You can have a conclusion about Jesus, and you can have it so sure that it's non-negotiable. You can have that. Set your mind on those things. Now, things above. So what about the things on earth that are important to me, like my children, my job, my school, my relationships, my home? What about those things? Those things are of earth, they're not of heaven. The way we view those things have to be seen through the lens of eternity. How you view your relationships, how you view your work, how you view your money, anything that you have should be seen in light of eternity, in light of heaven, in light of things above. The Christian who's raised with Christ in this new life is not so caught up with the world and its systems and what it has to offer. We see past that. We see above where Christ is. Look at what this says in Matthew chapter 6. Jesus says this, Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So Christians, where are you treasuring up your treasures? Where are you investing in? So have, seeking the things that are in heaven and setting your mind on the things of heaven will have you change your perspective on what we see here on earth. And heaven is such a reality that we can actually have conclusions and we actually have definition and actually have an anchor and something real where we can evaluate this earth. So the Christian who has been raised with Christ, who has a new life, they're treasuring heaven. They're treasuring where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 through 17 says this, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, here's our definition. What are the things of the world? The desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And look at this. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever, you see. So this world is going to pass away. As Christians, we know that because we have a hope that is in heaven right now. He's seated at the right hand of God and he will bring us into glory one day. So we have that hope. We have that anchor for our soul. It's made true to us through the Spirit. We can look at this world and 
and know it's going to pass away. It's fading. Set your mind on things above. Seek the things that are above. This is the pursuit of glory. Now the promise of glory. The promise of glory. Look what it says in verse 3. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. You have died. What does he mean by that? Where is it? Okay. In verse 22, oh, sorry, verse 20 of chapter 2, if you just look up in your Bibles, if with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still live, alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? So the death here is not a physical death. The death here is you are not submitted to the world systems anymore. You don't want the things that the world is offering you. They're not holding you anymore. You're dead to it. Paul says, it is not I who live, but Christ who lives in me. But he also says in Galatians chapter 6, verse 14, I don't think I have a slide for this, sorry, Don. But far be it for me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which, here's what the cross did for him and to us, the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. We have nothing for each other anymore. The world is crucified to me? Crucifixion? That's it. Once you're on that cross, you're considered not even human. You're considered degraded beyond compare. You don't want anything to do with people who were hung on the cross. I mean, that's such a vivid, scary description. But he's saying, look at what the cross of Christ did for me. I am so united to Jesus that when he died on the cross, I died to the world. I've given a new life. When he rose from the dead, I'm living now a new life with him. So Paul is reminding them and reminding us of a God-made religion. You belong to God. Look at what he says. You have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Now, hidden doesn't mean just to hide away. It's to protect. It's to conceal. It's to hold something very dear. That's what he means by hidden. Your life is hidden. Your life is secured. Your life is protected by God Almighty. Look what he says in, uh, what Jesus says in John chapter 10, verse 28 through 30. Jesus says, I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. I and the father are one. Wow. 
Once you belong to God and once your life is concealed and hidden in God, with Christ in God, no one's going to snatch you out of it. It's not threatened anymore. It's, it's concealed. It's so united to Christ that if, that if your life is then lost, your salvation is then lost, that means Christ failed. But we saw where Christ is right now. He's seated at the right hand of God. All angels and everything is subjected to him. He will never fail. He goes on forever interceding, not just for our generation, but for the generations that are going to follow. That's how much his blood on the cross is worth. It's so secure. Your salvation is so secure. And it's so amazing that Paul will start with this before he goes on in the chapter to tell them how to, how to live. He already tells them your life is hidden with Christ and God. This is what the Christian has when they first become a Christian. You get all the promises that God has. That's, that's given to you. Then, after the promises, you would live your life in reflection to that. That's what we're going to see in the next couple of weeks. But it's just so amazing that Paul would give this to you. This is a God-made religion. God is sovereign and in control of all things. He can promise these things to you, and it's not even a question. It's not even a question. And then look what he says. <laughs> when Christ, verse 4, who is your life, appears. Just stop right there. This Christ that we saw in chapter 1, verse 15 and on, this creator, this glorified Messiah, our King in heaven, our creator of all things. Paul is telling you, he is your life. What does that mean, he is your life? Again, Paul wrote in Galatians, it's not I who live, but Christ who lives in me. It says in the New Covenant in Ezekiel that I will take out their heart of stone and put in them a heart of flesh. I will give them my Holy Spirit, John 14, who would lead them in all truth. Christ is so united to you that when you're living as a new believer, you're living through the power of Christ. Uh, Paul says that in Philippians. Uh, I'm working these things Struggling with all the struggles, oh, sorry, in the same book, Colossians 1, 29. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. So Christ didn't just save you and then say, okay, good luck, we'll see you in glory in a few years. He saved you and now he's working with you for your salvation and bring you to glorification. He doesn't abandon his people. Once you're his, he's going to sit with you and work with you all the way to glory. Because look what it says. Colossians 3, 4. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. You will appear with him in glory. Not you might. <laughs> Not maybe. We'll see. 
It's, you can be so sure about this. Christianity offers you certainty about your future. Look what it says in Philippians chapter 3, verse 17, through chapter 4, verse 1. Brothers, sisters, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Oh, what does that look like? Who are these enemies of Christ? Their end is destruction, okay? Their God is their belly, okay? And they glory in their shame with minds set on what? Earthly things. The enemies of Christ set their minds on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. We belong to it, not the earth. We belong in heaven. And from it, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Wow. So we see a picture of these enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. So that means if you are in Christ, you are destined for glory. And if you are outside of Christ, you are destined for destruction. There is no ands, ifs, and buts. It is a draw. It's a clear line. Either Christ is interceding for you or he's not. He's not interceding for everyone in the whole world all the time. No. Those who are in Christ, their end is glory. And those who are outside of Christ, their end is destruction, condemnation, judgment for their sins. So here's what we have. We, this is the problem. The whole world has a problem, and it's sin. That's what separate us, separates us from God. Either two things can happen. One, you pay for your own sins forever and eternity in hell. Or two, somebody else paid for your sin. That's it. We can't negotiate with God, <laughs> come up with a new way to say, let me in without Jesus. Let me live my life without Jesus. Or let me be who I want to be without Jesus. It's either Christ paid for your sins or he didn't. This is amazing because this is how he starts off telling you your Christian life. You have promises from God of your eternal salvation settled already in heaven. It's been accomplished by Jesus Christ. He's already finished it. It's done. He's seated in heaven. The self-made religion, the religions of the world will come up and tell you, you got to do this, do this, do this, do this, do this, do this, and then maybe you'll get in. That's every religion. Or you can have Jesus, but you also need this, 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 this. That's every religion. Oh, yeah, maybe you don't need Jesus. You need this, plus this, this, this. It, it just adds so many things you got to do to achieve. Here, here in this God-made religion, God, only, he, he gave you the end. You're secured in Christ forever. And not only that, he has given you 
someone worthy to worship. He's given you Jesus Christ, his own son. You will appear with him in glory. Look at what 1 John says, chapter 2, verse 28. Two verses, same book, different sections. And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. Then, 1 John 3, 2 to 4. Yep, 2 to 3. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. You start with a picture of Jesus, and you go after him. You are given Jesus, you are also going after him. It is not God dangling Jesus in front of you and you have to go after him. Jesus is given to you. Do you see? This is a huge contrast. This is so fulfilling. This is so hopeful. This is so encouraging. This is so amazing. The world cannot offer you this. All the world will offer you is uncertainty. uncertainty. How do I know? Will I ever? Christianity says, yes, you, you, you can know for sure. So we saw the person of glory who is Christ seated at the right hand of God even today, right now. We saw the pursuit of glory to seek the things that are above. Set your mind on them. They are so real that you could set your mind on it. You can be concrete. And then we saw the promise of glory when Christ, who is your life, appears, you will appear with him in glory. Let's pray. Well, Lord Jesus, we thank you for your promises. We thank you for your word. This life is filled with temptations and filled with alternate ways of living, but you have given us a better way. You have given us a way that is actually fulfilling you have given us promises that we could shape our lives and live out. Lord, I pray as in the following verses come that our hearts will rejoice and will want to do what your word tells us to do. Lord Jesus, we just want a even more clear, more clear, more clear picture of who you are. Thank you for writing it down in a book. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. And we invite you to visit us Sunday mornings here at Fountain of Life Fellowship. For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com.